0: Well, um, last week, if you were here with us, you remember that we started this sort of mini-series here I'm looking at here, which I'm calling uh, Gifts in Community. And part of the reason that um, I've decided to do this is because as we prepare to reopen, um, it, it's almost in many ways, it's like starting over in a lot of things in terms of the ministries, in terms of the uh, the, the services that we need and uh, the help and uh, the servants that we need. And so, uh, I want us to a little bit more, I guess, deeply think about not only serving, but but the gifts and, and the community that we have been given, and to understand why it's important. To understand that we and you, whether you're a member there or not, whether you you know you come to church often or regularly or not, is that if this church is your body, then all of us in some way have a responsibility um, to. Maintain that body. And, and so it's important to really understand this so that we might be able to worship together and continue to serve together and continue to be a church together. And so last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 and uh, we looked at a few things there in terms of what Paul said about uh, changing and growing and, and uh you know, serving and using our gifts, and I want to continue that by looking at here our passage in Ephesians. We'll be looking at this today, and then we'll be looking at it again next week. And uh, it's it's very similar, in fact, to to Romans chapter twelve. But he's writing to a different church now. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. And today, what I want to do as we look at the first part of it, because when Paul writes letters, it, it's just very packed with so much that. I decided to take a little more time to look more carefully and deeply at. What, what Paul is really talking about here and why we need to really understand this. But today what I want to do is we want to look at uh, or focus on, dwell upon, meditate on, I think, the, the the community itself. Before we start talking about our gifts and, and what gifts are, uh, I think it's important to understand where those gifts are to be used and what our community ought to be and, and really is, what's our goal. And so in order to understand this, we, we need to look at this passage and see how Paul addresses. Uh, this church in, in Ephesus. And then basically, you know, if you're following along, if you're taking notes, I've got three, three C's to kind of kind of help us remember this, to follow along. There's, there's the first C, which is the command. There's a second C, which is community. And then lastly, there's a third C, which is call. Okay, so there's a command, there's a community, and, and there's a call. Okay, so let's look at this very first thing here. And this in verse one. Paul gives us a command. There's a command here in our passage in verse 1, and Paul says there uh, that I urge you to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul begins this passage here in this chapter with a command. He urges the church in Ephesus to do something, and that command is to walk to walk in a manner worthy of that call. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. What, what does that exactly mean? So he's, it's a metaphor, uh, walking. It's a verb. It's an action word to walk, right? It, it's something you and I do. When we walk, we we, we move, we, we go, we, we live. That's, that's what basically what it means. And oftentimes also when you walk, um, you go with some direction in mind, uh, some goal in mind. Right? So Paul says, walk in a manner, walk in a way, live in a way, go in a way that's worthy of your calling. And that calling, of course, is your call to faith, right? So basically, what we're saying in this command is this live in a way that matches your faith. And we need to kind of remember this this command is very important. We can't just brush this off because we say, oh, yeah, I know I'm supposed to be like a Christian, but. If you are a Christian today, if you say you believe, even if you're open to belief in God, in Christ, about Christ, I think what Paul is saying is this. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. I think that's what he's saying. And so the question that we ought to be asking is this. Well, okay, so we're called to walk like a Christian, but what does that look like? And immediately, simply thinking, we think that's an easy answer. We oftentimes answer that question either spiritually or or oftentimes morally. You know, if we're walking as like a Christian spiritually, we're we're praying, um, we're reading the Bible, uh, we're, we're going to uh, communion groups, worship services, we're maybe singing praise songs, or maybe walking as a Christian for you is, is more moral that you're doing the right thing. What's morally correct? What's right? What's obedient? Um, maybe to the laws of God or or to even the laws of our society. It, it's it's oftentimes doing something that either spiritually or morally right, and so it's simple. We think that's what it means. Means to walk like a Christian, isn't it? Do the right thing, whether it's spiritual or whether it's it's moral, just do the right thing. That's what it seems to be saying. But it's not that simple. And, and I think part of the reason it's not that simple is because people are a lot more complicated. How many of us have done this or experienced this? That we can do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Like, for example, let's say it's your birthday and uh, you got a present from, from somebody and you're so thankful and so surprised. And you say, "Wow, oh, this is great. This is an amazing gift. Thank you so much for, for this present. And the person that gives you the gift says this. He says, well, the only reason I gave you a birthday present is because next year when it's my birthday, I expect something just as good or just as expensive. How would you feel about that? How do you feel about getting that present? It might be the right thing, but his intentions are really wrong, isn't it? It's In fact, it's it's hypocritical. You could do the right thing all the time, whether spiritually or morally, but you have the wrong intentions or the wrong heart. That's called hypocrisy. People might praise you for doing the right thing, whether spiritually, morally, relationally, or otherwise, but they don't see your heart. And that's why this, this issue that we're struggling with in our country today, the issue of racism, is so difficult. Because, you know, in, in the public realm, in, in the public sphere, hourly uh, speaking, uh, we're, we're may, we may be able to mitigate some of the consequences and some of the effects of, of, of people's issues with racism or racism itself. But, but deep down, uh, even as we deal with the injustices that come out, racism is, is, is a sin. And and it's deeper than just our outward actions. It's also in our hearts. And I might be able to refrain from saying racial comments, but my heart may still be the same. I could still be thinking it, and it would be just as wrong. And so it's really a deeper issue, I think, that, that we're talking about. It's more than just doing the right thing. But consider the other thing, the other way, right? And maybe you and I have done this or experienced this. Maybe you did have the right intentions. Maybe you did have the right heart, but you ended up doing the wrong thing. You ever experienced that? So on the one hand, it's possible to do the right thing, but you've got the you know, wrong intentions or the wrong heart. But on the other hand, it's possible to have the right heart, but end up doing the wrong thing, right? Have you ever experienced that? And when that happens, you and I, we, we easily get misunderstood. Well, oh, that's that's not what I wanted to do. It was not my intention, right? Or we end up being very foolish. Well, I had the right intention, but I ended up doing the wrong thing and it was very unwise, right? And we often become misunderstood. I don't know which one you've experienced. Maybe you've experienced both. I don't know which do you prefer. Do you prefer someone who does the right thing but has got the wrong intentions? Or do you prefer someone who has the right intentions but ends up kind of doing the wrong thing all the time. And sometimes we fluctuate in between those two, right? But when Paul says in our passage that we are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, here's why I think it's not that simple to know what it looks like to walk like a Christian, because God demands from us, right, not only that we do the right things, but we also do them with the right intentions, that those two things have to come together. That our actions and our heart, our intentions need to be in sync, right? Whether we it's morally or spiritually or otherwise, we also are called to do the right thing with the right goal, the right direction, right, for the glory of God, and the right intention in the heart for the love of the lord or for love of his people. And those two things then they don't always easily come together, right? It can be very difficult. So if you were to study this letter to the Ephesians, you realize then why the apostle Paul spends 3 chapters prior to this chapter, 3 chapters proclaiming, expounding Teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about what God has done for you, about what you have been given in Jesus Christ, about what He's made you to be in Jesus Christ. He teaches you three chapters long before He even tells you what to do. And that's why here in this verse, it says this in chapter four, therefore, That word, therefore, walk in a way, therefore, connects what he's going to tell you to do with everything that he's already told you that God has done for you, for your heart, for your life, right? So he says, therefore, genuinely walk, that to live like a Christian, to walk like a Christian in both heart and action needs to flow out of our understanding of who God is, of what he's done for you, what he's given you, and who you're made to be. It's very typical Pauline style. Your identity oftentimes needs to precede what you do. What you do. And so before he tells us what we are to do here in chapter four, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, he tells you what you are and what you have in chapters one through three. Now, we're not going to go over chapters one through three, but just read those things for a a little bit to kind of be reminded of these things. We can't just pass it over, but... Chapter 1 to 3, this is what he says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to you. Chapter 1, he says, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, that we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have forgiveness of sins according to his grace, that we have this inheritance from him uh, that's sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that even when we were dead in our sins, he's made us now alive and reconciled to a holy God in Jesus Christ. And so, one to three, chapters one to three, there's blessings upon blessings, right? Mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. And in light of that, chapter four, Paul begins Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, therefore, I urge you, I plead you, I, I beseech you, in light of all of this, walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you have been called. And this is what it means, that you and I, we've been given something by God that he considers so precious, okay, so valuable, that those who have it must live in a way that's appropriate, consistent, and commensurate with its value. And that's why he commands us, walk in a way that is worthy of your faith, okay? Live like a Christian. Walk like one, right? From the heart, understanding the blessings of God. Okay, that's the first command, right? That's the first C there, right? But let's move on here. And and as he continues the discussion in our passage, we go on to the second C and we talk about community and how does he make this connection for the church in Ephesus well remember when we oftentimes walk even if we're just taking a walk you know there is some kind of direction even if though it's aimless it, it is a goal there a, a purpose there and so what is the walking that Paul is talking about. What is its direction? What is its goal? To what ends? And I think Paul here has something for this church, very something very specific um, in mind. And that's why in verse 2 it reads, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So verse 1, here's the command. Walk like a Christian, right? But then, secondly, the community. Verse uh, uh, verse two talks about unity. Talks about unity. Isn't that interesting? You know, walking, living, growing uh, as a Christian. You would think Paul would say here that the goal here as to walking like a Christian is to become more Christian, uh, to become more like Jesus Christ, or maybe at the very least to become. Uh, a better person. And, And certainly, that is part of it. He says that in other places. But here in this letter, he says, the goal of our walking in faith, living like a Christian, is to maintain a unity. And that's what he mentions in verse two, things like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. These are character traits that we need in order to maintain unity in a group of people. And that's what Paul talks about. But here's my point. We need to really think about this because it should be immediately obvious. He goes from you walking in faith, right, to unity. And I think this teaches us something that we just don't think about often, something that for some of us may seem very unfamiliar, Because we are very individualistic people. We live in a very individualistic culture. And so when you and I think about uh, living as a Christian, growing as a Christian, you know, walking in faith, we immediately think individualistically. We immediately ask ourselves questions like, how have I been doing? Uh, Have I been maintaining my QTs? Have I been praying? Have I been enjoying or experiencing any kind of fellowship or community or worship, we immediately think individualistically. But notice how Paul addresses the goal of you walking by faith. It's unity. He doesn't address you walking by faith, its goal, as individualistic, but he addresses it corporately. And I think this is something that we really need to think about as we think about our own personal walking in our faith. Think about it this way. When you think about your Christian life or the life ahead of you as a long, maybe hard, even twisted path that some of us walk, oftentimes when we think about that path, we think about walking it alone. And to be honest, in in some sense, there's some truth to that. There is reality to that, that all of us have a path that we walk down, however that's set for us. And we do that in some sense, you know, some sense as individuals. But what Paul says here is this, what he's telling us is this, that as we walk down this path of our life individually, he's telling us, remember to look to your right. Remember to look to your left. Remember to look, look behind you. Remember to look ahead of you. Because there are also others who are walking along that same path, maybe at different pace, maybe at different speeds, maybe with different turns and different twists, but still in the same direction, the same goal. And I think Paul here then is challenging the church in Ephesus and also us to think about this a little bit more, that though we are all individually called to walk in a manner worthy of our faith, we are still not alone. That living and doing, growing as a Christian was never meant to be an individual isolated project, but ultimately it's meant to be a communal one. Walking in faith as an individual was also meant to be a communal one. And that's why he mentions unity, because there are others around us as well. And it practically means this. You and I, we shouldn't just be asking, am I growing? Am I living by faith? Am I doing as, as Christians ought to do, as my faith says I ought to live? But we should also be asking this. Are we growing? Are we living by faith? Are are we walking together? You know, during this pandemic and during this quarantine, uh, we've never felt more I guess, isolated than now, especially as we continue to worship on Zoom. But I think what Paul is telling us here is this. Even though physically we may still be isolated and one day we'll be reunited physically, spiritually speaking, we are all still on the same path. We are all still together with the same purpose. And therefore, in a sense, at least by faith, we are all still walking together. Now, maybe we're not always holding hands when we walk, but still together in what Paul calls in our chapter, the unity of the spirit. And I want to ask you this as you think about this. Do you think like this when you think about your faith? Do we uh, think like this when we think about our, our faith? Right? Do we really think about it this way? That real, fruitful effective walking and growing ultimately needs to happen in community, in the unity of the Spirit, as Paul says. And so Paul commands us to walk, to live in a way to to do what? Eager to maintain that unity of the Spirit. That's his goal here. Right now, why why is that the goal here? If I want to walk and live like a Christian, why 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 should unity be that goal? Well, let's let's think about this because I know that many of us, when we think about unity or when we even think about communities, we we feel oftentimes disconnected, oftentimes because maybe we feel there's nothing we have in common, or that our relationships are somewhat shallow, or that we have differences in our opinions, our preferences, our political affiliations, our hobbies, whatever the case might be. But look at the. Kind of unity that Paul mentions here that we have, that we ought to be walking towards, and that is this unity of the Spirit. So verses 4 to 6, if you look at this, as Helen just read for us, there are a list of seven ones. He mentions one body, one spirit, one hope, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all. There are seven ones, one this, one this, one this, one this, right? And it's almost as if he's trying to remind us of this kind of unity that we have, this oneness that Paul says we have in the Spirit. And notice there are seven ones in this passage. And in the Jewish mindset, the number seven signifies a a kind of perfection, a kind of perfect oneness. And notice this, that even the seven ones, they are grouped in our passage around the three persons of the Trinity, one spirit grouped together with one body and one hope of our calling. One Lord Jesus Christ is grouped together with one faith and one baptism, right? And then one God, the Father, is grouped together with everything, the Father of all, And so what I think Paul is doing very poetically here is this. He's pointing out that our unity, the kind of unity that we're talking about here, is ultimately founded on the unity of the triune God. It's not any kind of unity and community that we're talking about. It's not based on ethnicity, ultimately, or socioeconomic class, or political affiliations, or your personal interests or preferences. Paul is reminding us very clearly that we have a unity of the spirit that is founded upon the unchangeable being and work of our God, upon the irreversible work of Jesus Christ in history, that our unity is founded upon the unfailing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people and the irrevocable decree of the Father God who is there from the foundation of the world. That's what our unity is based on. These are lofty ideas, but this is how great Paul says we have in our community. And I think this ought to be encouraging to many of us who feel disconnected in some way or who live in this broken world with much divisiveness and even discontent. Paul is saying this to the church. You and I, we have an eternal, unbreakable unity. It's something that we don't create, but has been created by God himself. And rather, it's something that he's telling us as we walk in our life individually, that we, and I, are called to maintain that unity, to work it out in our various respective communities together. Why? Why should we do that? And the reason why, so that not just we as a body, but also you as an individual will continue to walk and continue to grow, and continue to live as a person of faith. And in this way, we experience the unity or the community of Christ given to us so that all of us may encourage one another to walk in faith. Now, you know, let me just kind of be honest here. As I grow older, um, I, 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 to be honest, I, I find myself more and more impatient. Uh, I find myself... Thinking of people and finding people more difficult. Um, It's probably a lot on me, but there's a temptation for me um, when dealing with people, even in our own community, just to kind of let loose, right? Just to just to say something and just to say it, uh, it, and doesn't care. I don't care what they think. uh, it, It becomes harder to to bite my tongue. Knowing that even though that what I could say could, could offend or might even might even hurt people, right? That, there's that real temptation as, as, as I get older and even you know, with people in general. But there's also this temptation for me not to say anything at all. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, just not say anything at all because I just don't care. I just don't care. It's just, it's just, it's whatever, right? Especially when you're dealing with people. But this passage reminds me this, that if I have any Christian conscience, if I have any desire to keep walking in this faith that God has called me to, if I have any faith in what Paul is saying here in our passage, ultimately it means this, I need you. I need you each and every one of you. Because without you, being Christian, living a life of faith would not only just be boring, it might be unbearable, impossible, more difficult than dealing with our differences, more difficult than dealing with our personal pet peeves and inconveniences and so on and so forth. If this is what Paul is saying, it really means... I do need each and every one of you. And in the same way, just in the same way as I need you, you need me. And we need each other. That is what community is. And that's why we're called to maintain that unity. Because as we maintain this unity, Paul is saying this is how we are able to continue to walk the faith. A resource to strengthen our walk. That's how it works. So we've got the command to walk according to the, the call that we've been given. And, and we've got the, the community that, that God has given to enable that for us. But here's the call, here's the last C, and that is this. Uh, how do I do this? You know, by faith. How do I, how do I? Maintain the unity of the spirit, as Paul says. How do I grow and walk in my faith corporately with other people who may be different in some ways, but of the same faith? How do we do this? And and I'm not going to go too much. We'll we'll look at more carefully, I think, next week. But here in verse 7, let me tell you what Paul says. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let me explain to you something what Paul is trying to say here. When Paul says grace has given to each one of you, right, we normally, normally define grace as undeserved favor, unmerited favor. It, and we think about saving grace, that we've been saved by grace, even though we didn't deserve it. But the word grace here is, is a little different. Paul is using a play on words in this one verse, verse 7, because here it says this, grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's a word grace there, and then there's the word gift there. Now, if you were looking to the word or to the Greek word, the Greek word for gift is charismata. Charismata, right? And there are many different words Paul could have used to use the word uh, grace, but he uses the word Charis. So you've been given charis according to the measure of charismata, Jesus' charismata. The the words are related. Okay? Do you you see the relationship? So what Paul says is this. He's not talking about saving grace that we've been given each and every one of us, though that's true. He's talking about the gifts that we've been given according to his grace. And this is what we'll address in the following weeks. But the question is, how do we walk in a way that's worthy of our calling? How do we grow? How do we do this in community? How do we live and maintain the unity of the spirit so that it might encourage one another and help all of us individually to continue to walk? And the answer here is this. You and I have been called to use the gifts that each one of us have been given by grace. Gifts that encourage, gifts that serve, gifts that build, gifts that strengthen, gifts that edify, gifts that encourage one another to stronger faith, gifts that encourage one another to greater unity, even amongst our own diversity. And when we are all in that same boat, using our gifts, right, as you give yourself and using your gifts, you encourage others and they in turn do the same. And so there is this action going on in a community that overall builds up this community to its goal and its purpose. You know, I think this is something of a challenge to us, practically speaking. Uh, <clears throat> currently, our leadership, we're, we're trying to reorganize a little bit our community groups, right? And um, it may look, we haven't set things in stone, but it may look very different uh, going forward. Uh, we've been used to our own particular community groups for so long. Uh, but who knows? Going forward, you may find yourself in a group that, that with people that you you know, I haven't really spoken to much at all, even though we've been going to the same church. You might find yourself in a community group that are very different from you. In terms of phase of life, in terms of uh, personality types and whatever it is. And oftentimes we, it's it's difficult because you find yourself in a situation like this. They are fellow church members, but people that you haven't really related with too much. And so you go in there and some of us, we might think, oh, you know what? I'm married, but this group, everyone's single. I, I, I don't think I can like really fellowship with them, right? Or or you go into a community group and, and everyone's married and they have kids. And, and you're just like, well, I don't have kids. I don't have married. I, I can't really associate or get along with these people or or even things like you know you know they're they're on different sports teams you know and they they like different teams and i like the opposite teams and we have different hobbies i I can't i can't communicate commune with these, you know, these people, I can't fellowship, uh, we like different foods, I, I, I can't eat the same thing, stuff that they do, and they're, so we've got nothing in common, um, you know, or even just things like, you know, we, we're just very different in our personality types, you know, that person's too sensitive, this group is, is always crying, or, or that group never cries, never, it's, it's too insensitive, no one cares, and so they're, they're, there's always going to be uh, these differences that, that might hinder uh, the work of the Spirit in whatever community group you find. And it's a challenge. But you and I need to remember and be encouraged again by what Paul tells us in Romans or in Ephesians chapter 4. That fellow members of your church, of your community, is something that you have the most in common with when you think about the unity of the spirit. And so before we talk about getting into um, how we all contribute into this community by the use of our various gifts, I think today let's consider again the community and the unity that, that we need to maintain in whatever context, whatever ministry that we find ourselves in. Let's not complain or gripe that we don't have much in common, that we have nothing really to talk about after a superficial greeting. Let's remember that what binds us together is is, is Jesus Christ himself, that every Sunday we worship the same God together every week, week after week. Every Sunday we hear the same message together. We sing the same songs together. We pray the same prayers together. We have nothing in common. Are you serious? Because if that's what we think, then you're basing your idea of commonality on something that is a little more worldly and less spiritual, but what Paul says is the greatest commonality that we have together in Jesus Christ. And so it's a challenge for all of us. As we think about walking in faith, according to the call that we've been given, as we think about growing and living as a Christian, we think about our need for one another, not just the ones we like, but the diversity of one another that come together because of the unity of Christ for the purpose of growing together. And the way that happens is not just when we like each other, but when we serve one another, when we give to each other out of our gifts, whatever they might be. Let's consider that today uh, and the church as we consider also our reopening and as we get back into in-person worship, consider again, do you really want to just go back to church and just talk to the same people in person? Is that all as it is for you? Or do you want to grow the community in the church to serve maybe where you haven't served, to be in a situation where you're not used to, to, to engage with others that you haven't really done as much? Consider what you do as we consider the body of Christ. Let's pray.